0: Section 10 of An Itinerant House and Other Stories This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Mary Scano An Itinerant House and Other Stories by Emma Frances Dawson A Gracious Visitation Part 2 The captain began. The Jolly Polly was a tramp vessel. Now, smuggling opium. Or mask. Then, in the black ivory line. Another time carrying pirates' treasure. I need not say what cruise I was on when we sighted a ship. We had heard several times from vessels spoken. They reported her as acting strangely. She carried a distress signal. The reversed ensign and callers that cried to speak yet she was said to run away from any attempt to reach her when we saw her she carried foresail lower topsail spanker and mainsail set everything else was in confusion as if it dropped suddenly she was painted blue and with a fine red and gold line her length and a red-blue and gold figurehead the name on the stern read the stormy petrel she seemed to wait for us gently swaying as if but a mermaid's fan in motion she was so far and small to the naked eye there was no gleam from polish brass and glass as she moved all looked dingy as we came up there was no answer to our cries nobody showing on deck to watch the coming of the boat I sent. I had curiosity enough to set off myself in a second boat. There was no one on board the Petrel. We could find no trace of heart. She had not struck a reef or been run into. Stern, Sternpost and Rudder were all right. Seamen's chests and some of their clothes left about were dry they had not met very heavy weather a little bottle of vanilla on the cook's table had not been upset the pitch in the waterways had not started Hull, masts and yards were perfect there was not a crack in the grind paint of the deck house the deck was smeared everywhere with old stains of blood it was flush decked you looked from the taffrail along a platform whose length was broken only by skylights, the forward windlass, and once by the galley longboat. But that and all the boats were gone. The cabin was large, panelled in pale blue and red and gold, and light with a big stern window. There was a woman's black cloak here, a lace handkerchief, and carved ivory fan there. A table under the lamp bore books and papers, A woman's diary, made of loose sheets, had dates of months after the last entry in the log, but now weeks old. It was merely bits about the weather, and her being all alone. There was a piece of poetry, in the same writing on a sheet of paper, fallen to the floor, where there was also a small square of paper, folded once, with the word ACT on it, in a man's writing. The captain's chronometer, sextant, and charts were gone. No bills of lading, no manifest, were found. The cargo had been taken away. But small wedges of gold were scattered about, proving it had been a treasure ship. Why it had been deserted was a riddle we did not think we could ever solve. But in the hope of salvage claim, we took the petrol in tow some days later we all heard one dark night the whistling of a russian air but could not tell where it came from the crew thought the petrol might be haunted but i was sure the sound came from another side and long hung over the starboard rail listening it came and went a fine loud whistling of a beautiful old tune slowly louder and louder till the man in the forecastle cried it's right off the bow sir but i don't see anything again and again it rose and fell with a hopeless sadness in it that curdled my blood i ordered the pulley stopped and had rockets sent up at last t showed a little boat drifting close by with a boy sitting in it and whistling whistling with no sign of seeing or hearing us i had the boat lowered for a mate and some rowers and had port fires burning to show them how to find the boy and come back to us when the boy was hoisted on board he cried the captain and second mate why haven't i come across them he was dazed and could hardly be made to eat and drink what was brought him and soon fell into the dead sleep of exhaustion to all our questions His only reply was once to exclaim oh i was so afraid of drifting ashore and finding chocolate charlie and his gang the captain rose and saying allow me carried the light from the mantelpiece to a table it was the third time he had moved the lamps he had them now near windows i concluded that his nerves took whims i wish i hadn't cried the boy i wish i hadn't but how could i know and i was so afraid it was blessed hard on me too when i see the jolly polly i thought it was only one of my dreams till i see it was tugging another one that lurches and peeps from behind just as if on the lookout for me but trying not to have me find out it was the stormy petrol i was in one of my queer spells I couldn't help myself, I let them take me on board, when they all crowds round, asking this and that, at first, I says, I don't know about that sheep. But I used to sit and stare at it, so that Captain Volokov says at last, you do know about the petrol, I see it in your face. Where is the lady? says I, for I was most dread with wanting to know. There was nobody on the petrol when we found it says he my heart was full i couldn't see i burst out crying and cried a good while for all i had left her there alone she was so kind and pretty enough for a figurehead and i liked her so much till the last and then i was only afeard when they set us adrift in the petrol we knowed it was going to be all chance with us but we tries to cheer each other up. She says, we must meet some vessel. We've got lots to eat, says I. We are safer here than on some island, says she. I says, we've got rid of Black Bill's blue mug and his boozy set. I tells her fine pirate stories. Only, she would laughs when I didn't see anything funny. She tells me of grand doings at court. Soldiers there with big diamonds in their epaulets and sword hilts. Ladies in dresses of lace, like a spider's web, says she, and worth as much as rubies and diamonds. She'd been to a great ball the night she come to the ship. I had not gone home, says she, when I was forced to hurry to the wharf. I had to pay the driver of a drosky with my lace overdress. It was fortune for him her handsome yellow satin she wears caught up all round over her lace trimmed skirts rather tumbled and soiled now she hides it all under her long cloak only on deck when it blowed chilly she has to wear my pea jacket and the bosun's so wester though that couldn't hide the fine lady she was good company then She tells me about seeing nine bushels of pearls at the Troitsa Monastery, just left over from embroidery. She'd been to feasts where she had real caravanti, the ten dollars a pound kind, not hurt by sea voyaging, in oysters and grapes and watermelon, brandy cherries and sugar-glazed filberts. We tried to forget where we was, for we couldn't bear to stay on deck. On account of the splashes of blood nor in the cabin it was too lonesome it was hard to take in that we too was there alone after all we'd known going on up and down we were going to meet the portuguese carack that never come home says i with the castellated stern rising into a tower from her poop and poop royal and in her hold thousands of pounds worth of gold and silver bars ingots doubloons and ducats gems and minted money that's the ship you ought to be on it does sound like my ship says she the time come when we didn't say much we watches for days a smooth swell most too lazy to go by us and a slow sway across the deck of the shadow of the musin mast like a lullaby, listens to the straining of bulkheads, clicking of doors loosely hooked, and the flapping of the canvas, till we feels we might as well be dead and under hatches. Then a breeze would send us skimming like the gulls, slanting against the wind or hanging in the air round us, for the lady makes me scatter feed on deck for him. When we'd feel the stir and rush, we'd cheer up and watch the snow of foam behind us, and see things in it. Same as you can looking in the fire. She see flower wreaths, hearts, and stars mostly, but I could make out fortress, and cannon, and smoke of battle. Dear heart, how afeard she was of a stiff blow, when the rigging screamed, and the mast heads leaned over, and we was to steady ourselves by rail, or belaying pin. Once or twice in many weeks, we see ships creep out and in the haze on the horizon. I hoists the colors to speak, and the brand new white ensign I finds in the color chest. To show em we ain't pirates, I says. When they catches sight of that, the first mate with the telescope will run up on the main royal yard. The second mate with the telescope will climb up on the fore royal yard, and the captain will be trumpeting, Ahoy! She laughs and says, Think of their surprise to find, after all that hurrah, only a woman and a boy. But the vessels we see get swallowed in fog, or we did, and the Portuguese carrack too. After we'd been hurried along for days by short winds, or stopped as if anchored for weeks, she gets downhearted. I knowed by her eyes that she cries a good deal, but she never let me see her doing of it. She knowed it was dirty luck for me too. She asks me about my folks and makes me tell her things she could say to him in case she ever got home and I never did. I wants to do the same for her, but she says, It is better for you yourself that you should not name me. There is only one I want to reach. I don't know where. One day, I see her leaning over the bulwark rail and goes up to her. She was looking where the ensign shadowed, a white streak under the stern that made me think of a burial at sea and a body sinking. Haul it down, she says, with a shiver. It is too like a shroud. So I does, but I hated to lose such a big signal. Then she takes spells of walking, 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 sometimes all night above and below, all over the ship. Though, while she was in her right mind... She was shy of the bloody deck. I put off, and put off trying to clean it up. It turned my stomach to think of it. After a while, she wouldn't eat nor talk, but sits all the time writing. Writing. I got afeard of her big, wild eyes and crazy ways. And when I see a branch with green leaves on the water, I says to myself, we can't be far from some island. I'll risk it. I'd always been fond of sitting in the captain's gig to watch the foam and spray about the rudder when we gets a breeze, and she didn't mind my going there now. Little by little, I lays in provisions. And one night, when she was standing behind the interlacing of the main shrouds, looking ahead, I sets to work and slowly, one end at a time, gets the gig lowered. Right you are. The night was mild, the lady had no wrap. her hair was dressed very fine, and she was a-letting down her long train. The next minute I knowed she'd be a-pacing to and fro, a-singing, a polonaise, and a-playing she was at the ball. I seen her do it lots of times, over and over I'd put off going. And maybe I'd stayed this time if she hadn't set up her forlorn piping a polonaise is just a high swagger of a march no more dance of the hornpipe sort than standing still is and when the music is sad like the oginski it is all sobs and a catching of the breath so i drops gently after the gig and lets the ship move off with naked davits and hanging tackle i hates to lose the petrol as i looks up at it the spars were tossing against the moon as if it knowed From flying jib-boom and to the taffrail, the whole yarn, and was uneasy as I was. I was sorry right off when I couldn't get back. A wind rose and carried me away. I lost sight of the ship and found no island. I felt it serves me right for deserting the poor lady. Some nights, when the sky was a mass of stars, there was liberty and brightness of morning. But the others... Folks on shore don't know what the dark means. At sea, it is thick, black, like velvet. Sometimes, all the top of the water would flicker and gleam, as if thinking about me, or trying to tell me something. One black night, there comes up a wet squall, and the lightning looks to be slanting right after me. I was too scared to do anything at night, but on a calm day, I didn't know what way to go. I used to row and row till I was dead tired and didn't care what come. I was lonesome for the lady, and I missed the noise of big sails beating the masts. I knowed no vessel would sight me, for often a haze shut the horizon in, to within a few yards, and in clear weather my boat on the big blue made about as much show as a bird. I found I'd only divided a clove hitch. The lady and I had each now, one to ourselves. So I goes on. Day after day, night after night. Never knowed when some big monster might knock my boat over and drag me down. And soon, I had nothing left to eat. One night, the full moon hangs like a big gold piece in the sky. And I could seem to hear the lady singing the Ukrainian love song, The moon. I couldn't bear to hear her. It was sweet, but just like storm clouds coming up, it made me want to cry. Yet the time had come when I begins to whistle it for company every night. I got forgetful spells when I didn't know how I come to be there alone. And, by the powers, each day and night seemed a year long. It was a rum start, find the jolly-polly had got me. But the queerest of all was when the lookout soon after sighted an island so far away, shining and sparkling, and the water pounding so white on the reef I thinks of a bit of green glass dropped in snow. The air was so clear, like looking through a telescope. We see a man come to the shore long afore we gets nigh. The sun was like a ball of fire sinking into an ocean as of blood there was a red glare on the whitening breakers on clouds of seabirds on the dazzle of green and white and on that figure standing on the beach as if he'd sent for us the man the crew of the petrol thought had danger in him they says he and his shadow is the worst cards in the pack it was calm as if he had been tying up the winds in knots of his handkerchief here was the petrel coming right back where she'd been set adrift. And there stood, by the men's yarns, a fin who could sail a ship in contrary winds. The knave of spades, they calls him, and his shadow, the nine-spot? There was a little imp standing beside him. No bigger than a spritsail sail knot, and I says to myself, that's the ace. Here, the restless boy left the room running to the front door and back. I thought he feared the fin might not like his words. Still, he had been dodging out and in all the evening. When I see two ships driving tandem, said the sailor, and as they draws near, makes out that the hind one is the petrel, I was struck all of a heap. Shiver my timbers, says I to the monkey. If it ain't the whole blessed ship, from cross trees to kelson. And the monkey takes off his cap and scratches his head. And smooths his chin. And tries to... to think it all out. I see the boy on deck of the Polly, but no sign of the lady. They sends a boat off for me. And when I climbs aboard the vessel, here is Ivan ready to square off at me. Do you know each other? says the captain it's the knave of spades he's got us back cries the boy the petrol was here and he cut the hawser." what could you see in the darkness says i it was chocolate charlie cause he suspects i wants to get to aboard and leave him where is he where are they all says ivan gone to the bottom or come out to other side of the world says I. Black Bill gave me a mauling, and they clears out when I knowed nothing. Where's the lady? Gone, says he, and turns his back. The Petrel had a fiery set of malays, Portuguese, Chileans, and a lot of half-breeds. Some of them had been ugly and put in irons. That cripples us by want of hands." And a big blow drives us leagues and leagues out of our course. They lace it all to the fin. One dark night, I was at the wheel. But I knows what's going on. That the first mate who was on watch is being gagged and bound. not no use for me to try to stop it. Black Bill, one of the malays, says to me, Old jack of spades, just keep off. You might have put one of your spells on him and saved us this trouble, but we'll keep you to whistle up winds for us. Chocolate Charlie, a quadroon, and Gentleman George, a Portuguese, who might have been an earl. He was so high and mighty and lazy, gets the captain and second mate on deck by some trick, and then has four men seize each other. Now, they says, we've taken the sheep. You've got to agree to navigate her where we say, or we'll cast you adrift. The captain was pluck clear through. He swears blue streaks and thunders out. I scorn to even answer you. The mate loves a fight, and he sets to and trips up two of the men holding him, and punches another one on the head, and doubles up the fort by a dig in the ribs. Look out for squalls, captain, he says. I'll attend to your men now. And he steers for him. There was an orderly set on board, too. They gets at the arm's chest, as well as the others. And comes running up and takes sides again. Chocolate Charlie and his men. And so here was a pretty a fight, as ever you see. Bang of pistol and clash of cutlass in a pitched battle right off and the deck running blood. You ought to have sanded the deck first, man of war fashion i sung out you mind your wheel, hollers bill we'll sand the deck with bodies there was a good deal of dull thumping of the deck and many goes overboard without a boat and with a stiff air of thinking they could walk the water or not caring whether land or water waits for their feet the first mate was one of these died where he was gagged and bound maybe from fright at being helpless There was few left of the good men and true sort, and there was mostly the scared ones who never chose the fight. The launch was lowered, the captain and second mate forced to go over it by pistols held at their heads. The captain was fond of his ship, let alone the disgrace of losing a treasure cargo. And as the petrol shears off, his last look at us was pitiful. I knowed he was steering near the wind. They'd killed him as much as if they'd shot him. He was speechless. But the mate yells and yells back till the ship lost hail of him, telling the leaders of the mutiny what blasted fools they was, for none of them could navigate. The first thing was to help themselves from the ship's stores, and they drinks all hands quiet for a spell. The poor lady had heard the row and locks herself up and tells through the door anybody that comes that she is ill. She was such a frail wax doll. They cares nothing for her more than for a foam wreath. They tears and yells and sings till they drops. When they sobers up, they has a long talk, and decides to land at some island and bury the treasure to lose its link with the ship. There was a stiff blow last night, says Chocolate Charlie to me, and we knows who called it up. You, jack of spades, and we're not going to risk our cargo with you. Just you find a desert island now, if you values your life. I knows more about setting a course than they thinks, so I steers in a certain direction. Though it was many days afore we sights an island, and Chocolate Charlie was suspicious, and used to stand and glare at me and want to curse, but hardly dare, cause they was afeard of the fiend's power for bedevilment, and I don't know, but some of them thought I conjured up the island we finds. It did look like a vision, with its coral grit-like drifts of snow heaped on the dark blue water, its tall spikes of grass, its clumps of coconut trees with tufted heads, its glaring green, and its birds of gold and red and blue. We couldn't get very near, and the treasure has to be carried ashore by boatloads. And some of it gets swamped in the surf. I'll not deny I was looking at it, hoping it might. It took several days. The rest of us men goes ashore too. The scary ones had to help. I finds out one afternoon why supplies was taken off the vessel too. Chocolate Charlie was the only one for burying the treasure. Blackbill was for building a big raft to get picked up with it at sea. And no proof of it was a steal, nor trouble of coming back to dig it up. And nobody else finds it. I overhears gentleman George mutter. If we leave it here, we'd better bury the fin with it to leave him on guard. If you do, says I, by the powers, remember me when the next storm rises. That's all. At dusk, I steals down to the water's edge and waits for the steady ones. Meaning for us to get back to the ship on the sly and get off with the lady and cabin boy left on board. I could navigate well enough. There was such a thunder of big rollers, I hears nobody behind me. The first thing I knows, I gets flung up the beach. Chocolate Charlie was sewing away on the hawser with its sea gully. He had a sheet on the wind's eye and never thinks how taut the petrol was pulling. When the houser snaps, it jerks him into the surf. The vessel starts off in a hurry. I see the lady in the big stern window, a light behind her. She springs to her feet. The boy shows dimly, hanging over the bulwark rail. I hears his faint cry for Alexis, for we gets on well together. Chocolate Charlie, carried by the tide, goes plunging after, as if in chase, and he never comes back. The scary ones didn't get round. Black Bill and Gentleman George come running down, thinks I cast Chocolate Charlie into the water and falls upon me. Gentleman George, too lazy to do more than hold me, while Black Bill gives me such a drubbing I know nothing for days. When I comes to myself, there was no noise but the beating of the surf on the reef. It was broad day. There was this little man, patting the monkey, stands by me and looks anxious. When he finds that I see him, he offers his paw, as much as to say, Let me know if I can do anything. I was too weak for a while to stare. When I could sit up, I see all the litter of raft building. They must have shanghaied the timid men for the sake of having their help. They had left pork and rum and biscuit, cause they was afeard of me. I had been simply marooned. It won't likely there was any cash. Though I hunt some, but finds no sign. The company of the monkey was worth more than the treasure there. Poor little castaway. You must have been some wrecked sailor's pet, for monkeys are not found on those islands. And I never heard of one that had evoluted into being born with a little cap, which he has on when I first see him. He was fine company, not to talk, but a deep thinker. He used to sit by me watching the sea for a sail, and looking dreadfully old and wise, seemed to know the most of the two of us. He would climb a tree and throw coconuts down, and take care not to hit me, and watch me fish. As if he felt himself above such silly trifling away of time, always staying by me, unless he sees I means to shoot a bird, then he runs into the woods till the noise is over. Sometimes he would study hard over a tattoo mark on my wrist and arm. It was plain he thought it ought to run up to my shoulder. He would push up my sleeve and puzzle over the matter and look up in my face. So. I made out that his master must have had the long tattoo he was remembering. When I first see the Jolly Polly staving along with the petrol behind, I says to him, by thunder, and he claps his paw on his knee, as if the sight was just what surprised him. When the Jolly Polly takes us aboard, he acts all at home, and sits up in the rigging as if he was hired for the lookout. The boy and I couldn't talk much about the lady we didn't think to see anybody belonging to the petrol but as we goes into honolulu i grabs ivan's arm and says i did you ever lay eyes on that man afore over there at the top of the landing stairs see him stare at us lord says the boy but may never run afoul of black bill and gentleman george and you may lay to that As soon as I stands up again on that there island, I spends the same hour every night thinking of them and their raft, and dancing three steps to the right, three steps to the left, and three turns with my arms raised to the full moon, and whistling, whistling, whistling. You get great help in such things from doing of it in a lonely place. You needn't think your wish with such heavy underlines, so to speak mine took to him like bitch there was a ship shaped gale come up that no ruff could live in the sailor's little wizard chum gave him a pat on the head as if in high approval who the lady was or where she come from nobody on the petrol knew the big mate's rumbling voice began if she'd waited till daylight the police or custom house officers would have catched her it was along in the third watch she come gliding down the wharf like a black shadow as she sweeps along the deck we see right off she was a one for main and mizzen under her long black cloak there was the edge of a primrose satin ball dress she seems sort of wild to find someone she expects to meet and begs the captain to wait wait Wait, but he sees she was a way-up lady and was afeard of trouble. She didn't tell who was to come, only says, wait. Our supercargo was a stranger who didn't come nor send word. The captain scented some police business, so off we goes, hand over hand, right on time. The captain give her the cabin the supercargo would have had. And the officials, overhauling us afore we starts, didn't notice there was any door where the captain slid the big screen he kept for scary times. When we gets fairly off, up she comes on deck. She had us all officers taut in tow. First look, she was a dainty dove, with lots of plums, but she didn't see anybody there. She just cries and wrings her hands and holds her arms towards the last of the Russian shore. It is queerly level to what this coast is. So flat, so low, just a pencil line between sea and sky. The slope of water often hiding the land. The lighthouse towers, looks like sails. Oh, for your wings to go back, to go back, she cries to the gulls. The captain tries to calm her, and gets her to go below again, and there she stays for weeks. She'd only just come on deck, biting lemons all day, when we had the mutiny. There was great wonder about our missing supercargo. And through that it, at last, got told about among the crew that the petrol was a treasure ship. We did have, but didn't mean to have all hands know. 600,000 pounds in gold from the big mines, even where it was consigned, kept secret, so far by the captain and first mate. We had weeks of fog and days of gale, and that tremendous blow after some of the ugly men had been put in irons sends us far off our track, and the petrol was a lost bird till she could have all hands at work. I never sailed along of a harder set. I know Chocolate Charlie, Black Bill, and Gentleman George was ripe for the gallows. But I didn't think they'd break out this trip till I found them athwart my horse. It was a lovely fight after I sailed slap in. Blows and kicks and cries and stamp and rush of feet and roars of shots and caught lasses clashing and the deck slippery with gore. Lord love ye, it was fun. Never got so thirsty in my life. Pity the leaders got drowned. I'd have liked to dangle him a pretty row of him from a yard arm. If all the steady men on board had been decent and loved fighting as I do, as a baby loves sweets, we could have got Black Bill and his gang into irons. And when that mess of swabs Cast the captain and me loose. I was swearing mad, cause I knowed we could have got the best of him if there'd been enough spunk on board. When the captain see his pet ship going off with this here precious cargo right before his blessed deadlights, and knows the cruise is bungled for good and all, he jumps overboard. All his plans about ship and treasure, all his concerns in life, amounts to a few bubbles floating by me. I must have been within half a plank of death, tossing in that their boat nigh upon a month. I got out of provisions. The soft-headed lobbers flung only a little stock on board. It's a wonder that likes of him done so much. I turned light-headed, and when I hove in sight of the black gull, I knowed nothing of it. But I seize and sense a boat. I was for fighting when they shears alongside, and they has to seize me. I was sick for weeks after they left me at Honolulu. When I gets outdoors, I goes to the landing stairs, and sits in the sun with other souls stranded there, to do my share of joeing about rotary storms and parrots. There was a Russian not long from China and Japan that I had some talk with, but I never thinks... By a long sea mile that he knowed anything about the petrol. Till the jolly poly come a-towing of her round the bite. When I gets a bit over my own setback by it, I sees a sudden change in this man's face. A whiteness, a set holding of himself together, as if some shock was a-threatening to knock him to pieces. Do you know either of the sheets? says I. He looks at me. As though he didn't know what I says, and it was plain he couldn't speak. End of Section 10 Recording by Mary Scano